Well, this is the uh, first talk in a series called Unpacking Forgiveness. And like any uh, introductory talk, I'm not going to say everything that needs to be said. In fact, far from it. Uh, but this is one of many. Uh, when we think about forgiveness, uh, maybe it has us reflect on any baggage we might be carrying through life. And questions and wounds weigh us down. And maybe our baggage contains abuse or divorce or unfaithfulness or mistakes that we have made. And so it's important for us to learn how to unpack the baggage that comes with those wounds and to deal with them so they do not continue uh, to affect the way that we relate to people today. And if that is where we are at, uh, the encouragement then is to meditate with our heart and our mind on the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we heard the reading this morning, Tinnika just read it out for us. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, here is help for the hurting. Uh, Jesus extends a special invitation to those who are being crushed under a load of brokenness, and he's saying, come to me. Notice Jesus doesn't say, go to God and find rest. doesn't say that. No, in Jesus, God gets a human face, doesn't he? As he said earlier in verse 27 about the relationship between the Father and the Son, he says in verse 27, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so Jesus' invitation is a very gracious invitation. It is to himself such that when we embrace him, we embrace God. Now, back in the day, being friends and being right with God was the ultimate thing. Uh, but they thought the path was via an intricate religious system. The Pharisees of the first century had developed a complex set of rules. The goal was to help people to be more righteous. But in the end, they focused on minutia and neglected the more important matters of justice, mercy and faithfulness. It's all there in Matthew 23. In fact, in Matthew 23, Jesus said the Pharisees were well, like straining gnats from their, their beverages while guzzling down camels. And all this attention to religious trivia wore people out. It's a heavy, heavy yoke to bear. And the baggage of broken relationships can be every bit as exhausting as the religious system of the Pharisees. The do, do, do. Maybe we are haunted by our relationship with our father or mother. Maybe we feel constant guilt about a broken marriage or we're filled with bitterness over abuse that we've endured, or we're hopelessly disillusioned by our own failures. Here, Jesus 
invites us to come to him. And he promises rest, real, genuine rest, particularly on the topic of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness can be complex. It can feel hopeless. And we might feel as if there are no answers. But the Bible offers us clear answers. And so here's what we can do. Let's start. Firstly, we can fix our eyes on God himself. We heard in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that God himself is the wonderful counsellor, isn't he? The word wonderful is used in scripture to describe miracles. Counsellor refers to the giver of the kind of wisdom that helps in guidance and planning. And so this Jesus who offers us rest, well, we know he's a miracle worker. We read it in the Gospels, don't we? He's wonderful, but also wonderfully wise. He's the Lord of awesome answers, the God of incredible insight and godly guidance. And he will lead us perfectly through the minefields of our broken relationship if we come to him. Along with his matchless wisdom as wonderful counsellor, the Lord Jesus Christ is also mighty God. And we know that when we read the Gospels, we see Jesus rule with complete power, that there is nothing that he cannot accomplish So think of that tremendous combination of his almighty power and his wonderful wisdom such that nothing in heaven or hell could ever thwart his purposes. We heard in Romans 8, if God be for us, who could be against us? And so there's great encouragement here. But back to Matthew 11, think again of the invitation of Jesus The wonderful counsellor and this mighty God invites us to come to him. Such is his grace. But there is a little bit more because this time, see the following two verses as well. Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So even as we have been reminded that he is the wonderful counsellor and that he is almighty God, notice that when Jesus invites us to come to him, he also describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart. All that power and wisdom, yet he is gentle and lowly in heart. Though he is supremely exalted, (laughs) see this about our Lord Jesus, he's not a vindictive taskmaster who's going to rub our mistakes and beat us down, rub our face in our mistakes and beat us down over our failures. That's not what Jesus does. No, Jesus stands ready to help because he is gentle and humble in heart. And he stands ready for us to accept his invitation to unload the weight of our burdens. And so the question has to be at this point, well, why would anybody pass this up? Why would anybody pass this up? But before we accept 
Jesus has offered to find rest, we need to read the invitation really carefully because, you know, there's, there is a bit of fine print. It's not really fine print, but maybe we just miss it. See, Jesus does not invite worn-out people to take a nap and to have a snooze. And, and nor does he suggest that if we kind of chant some one-time prayer over and over, renewal will be granted automatically. He doesn't promise that either. No, what are we to do? Jesus says we are to take his yoke and to learn from him. Jesus invites those who need rest to actually come and work with him. Now you might be going, huh? That, 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 that doesn't sound right. How does that work? A yoke is a harness used for labour. We've seen the pictures of people carrying the yoke and they've got the buckets of water hanging off the yoke. Or we've seen them on oxen. It's a work instrument. This is the last thing we need, isn't it? How in taking on Jesus' equipment will we find rest? And one answer is, as we follow Jesus and learn from him, the Holy Spirit graciously operates in our lives. This is how we are who are weak, can move forward, not in our strength, but in his. Here is a different way of doing life. Here is a different way of carrying life's responsibilities. Because life still has to be navigated, doesn't it? But as we navigate life, do you see that Jesus offers us his equipment, his stuff? We've all been to someone else's shed, haven't we? And your mate pulls out the latest and great U-Butte, whatever, and we kind of look at it and go, oh, that's awesome. How much did that cost? And we do the price check and then we go and check with the other half and uh, it becomes difficult. But we wish, we know what it's like to have someone else's equipment. Get a load of that. But here, Jesus, do you see that Jesus offers you his? And it's his yoke and it's his way of doing things. It's a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we've been living. As we follow Jesus, as we learn from him, the Holy Spirit graciously operates in our lives. Now, this is the kind of thing that Paul pointed to in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, when he said, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's for his good pleasure. It's for his glory. The reason Paul told the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling is that when they do, God will graciously work in them and through them. That God works in and through us as we cooperate with his gracious work in our lives. Now, I'm going to take a risk. I know we live in land, but we know what sailing is, don't we? I know there's not much water, but I'm going to risk it anyway. See, use your imagination. Suppose you are in a boat and you have to travel an incredible distance. And just to make things even more complicated, 
You don't even know there's such a thing as sailing, right? Just go with it. And what would you do? You, you might try and propel the boat in all kinds of futile ways. You, you might lie in your stomach, for example, and you might start paddling over the, over the side of the boat. Or if you're a little more creative, you might find a stick that's miraculously appeared in the boat and you're now using it as an oar, but soon you discover, well, you're just going around and around in circles and soon you are worn out and you are frustrated. But then imagine someone, someone steps into your boat and they say, I see that you're exhausted, but how about I teach you how to get somewhere? And then they show you how to raise a sail and to catch the wind. And you get the picture, don't you? I mean, it's still hard work. Sailing is still hard work. There's a reason Popeye has big forearms, isn't there? But it's not futile hard work. It's not pointless hard work. It's hoisting a sail into the breeze and soon you are gliding forward in a strength that is beyond yourself. And this is like the invitation that Jesus gives. See, are you tired of trying to work your way through forgiveness with one oar? Are you worn out from trying to paddle with your hands? The invitation is to come and to sail in the wind of his strength. Soon you will be gliding forward in the breeze of his grace. That is true. Of course, that brings us to the question, how do I work in such a way that gives me, that God gives me strength and grace? How, how specifically do I assume the yoke of Jesus and learn from him, Adam? How do I, I mean, it's a nice picture and all, but how do I raise the sail into the breeze of God's strength? How do I do that? And I want to say to you, God gives us all sorts of gifts. There are all sorts of ways that God pours out his grace into the life of the Christian. And the first way God pours out his grace is that he's the one that smashes the yoke, isn't he? The original yoke that you're bearing. In Isaiah it says that God comes along and he destroys the yoke of our burdens. He sends his son Jesus to come and to die for our sins, such as the burden of sin is wiped away. And that is all his grace. And we read about that in the scriptures. We open our Bibles as a measure of God's grace. We pray. We have access to the Father, direct access to the throne of God, all as a measure of his grace. Even this gift of one another is a work of God's grace. The gift of one another. You might feel at times, yeah, thanks very much, Lord. That's really great. But we are a gift uh, of God's grace to each other. And we, when we give ourselves in worship, when we give ourselves with our lips or with our pockets or with our bodies, to the service and worship of the Lord, that is all by God's enabling. When we participate in any of these, we hoist our sail into the wind of God's love and favour. 
Which means that if you've been trying to work through forgiveness without consistent involvement in such things, then you are only paddling with your hands. The way to accept Christ's invitation is to find, and to find rest is to be consistently in his word. It's to be listening to biblical preaching. Because it's God's word, not mine and not yours. It's to be prayerful. And it's to be sharpened by other Christians. And while at first it may seem like you are moving only a bit, before long you'll be sailing forward. You'll be riding, ridding yourself of the baggage that weighs you down. And you might object at this point. You say, you know, Adam, I've already tried the Christian way of unpacking my burdens and it didn't work. I've tried Jesus. I didn't get any rest. And I want to respond to that by saying, well, did you really? Did you really try Jesus? Did you really assume his yoke? his instrument of work, his way of doing things, did you really learn from him? Because we need to remember the Christian life is often described as less like a sprint and more like a marathon. It's, it's, we, we run the long race, not a short one. And being a Christian isn't something that you try on for a few weeks or months. This is a life. And so here are some encouragements this morning. Have you, have, you been, have you continued to come to the throne of grace, remembering God's own forgiveness of you as you seek to forgive others? I have to do that. We all have to do that. Have you been consistently involved in the local church where the Bible is preached? I thank God for those among us who are here every week. A great encouragement as you hunger for God's word and as you take advantage of Bible study groups and other forms of learning. Thank God for those who are praying in a disciplined way, regularly. For those who are involved in this Christian community and fellowship and sharing one's life with other Christians. Those worshipping Christ on a regular basis. So do we... Take part in Christ-centred worship and listen to Christ-centred preaching. Have we identified with Christ in baptism? Have we faithfully participated in observing the Lord's Supper at church as an avenue of his grace, as we remember the way God loves us and forgives us? They're all means of grace. They're all how we take Christ's yoke upon us as we learn from him. Christ's way of unpacking forgiveness is not three easy steps that happen just like that. It's a way of life, following Jesus, learning from him, learning together, being involved in his church, hearing his word preached. And I want to say again that apart from consistent involvement in these disciplines, you're trying to paddle with a stick. You're trying to paddle with a stick and it's not going to work. Our next logical question might be why? Why, Adam? Why apply ourselves to this topic of forgiveness with enthusiasm? Because this is painful. 
And in the coming weeks, it might be painful. It's an emotionally charged topic. And quite frankly, many would rather lug their emotional baggage around. Too many are perfectly happy to be constantly miserable and indignant. Too many. It seems to be the way of the world at the moment. It's my right to be indignant. And the other problem is this is going to be intellectually demanding. Because how we live out this life of forgiveness rests on what we believe from the Bible. What we know about God from his word. But that should be an incentive for us to do the hard work of exploring the scriptures. But here's a better reason. Well, another reason. Not necessarily better. Here's here's another reason. And I want to say to you, it's happiness. (gasps) Am I allowed to talk about happiness? Happiness in ourselves, is that okay? And not just in ourselves, in our Lord God and Saviour. Now, why can I say this? John Piper says that anybody can say it, really. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And we've been given a sweet, sweet gospel. In the gospel, not only are our sins forgiven through the shed blood of our Lord, but we are called to infinite and unbounded joy. Understanding what the Bible teaches about forgiveness, both how we can be forgiven by God and how we should and can love and forgive one another, should not be unpacked with a sense of dread. Rather, there should be a confident certainty that those who unpack forgiveness and put it into action will reflect and show the brilliant beauty of Christ, finding their maximum joy and happiness in him. So hear the encouragement this morning. Take Jesus' yoke upon you and learn from him. Following Christ is the right thing to do and it is the best thing to do and there is nothing better. Amen.